Well, hi everyone, I'm Dr. Carolyn Major, an Associate Professor and the Director of Residency Programs at the Oklahoma College of Optometry. And today I'm so excited to go through a case presentation series with you um, where we're gonna focus on diagnosing retinal vein occlusion and especially focus on the power of multimodal imaging and OCT and geography, but also look at those cases where we need to do further systemic investigations. This first case is a 40-year-old female and she's coming in for a routine examination. Her medical history is remarkable for hypertension. However, it's pretty well controlled and her in-office blood pressure is pretty good, 133 over 83. Visual acuity excellent at 2020, which is why she's asymptomatic and coming in for a routine exam. Screening confrontation visual fields, however, did pick up some inferior nasal restriction in the right eye only. Her intraocular pressure is good at 15 and 16 there. When we look at her color fundus photograph, which is a wide field photo here of the left eye, there is unilateral and sectoral pathology. And that's the hallmark of a branch retinal vein occlusion. The pathology in this case is primarily intraretinal hemorrhaging. However, we also see some venous sheathing distal to an AV crossing site. And that AV crossing site is likely where the venous thrombosis occurred. Remember in a branch retinal vein occlusion, an artery that pushes on the vein due to sharing a common, common adventitial sheath causes narrowing of the lumen, turbulent blood flow, and thrombosis formation. Here is her uh, magnified color fundus photograph as well as the OCT angiography montage. And this is the superficial capillary plexus preset. You can see on the montage that there is significant retinal non-perfusion within that area of the branch retinal vein occlusion. Definitely greater than five disc areas of capillary non-perfusion. So we would classify this as an ischemic branch retinal vein occlusion. I also want to point out here that the area of non-perfusion seems to respect the horizontal raphe, but the macula is well perfused, which is why her vision's 20-20, right? And there was no macular edema present. The value of montage OCT angiography is that we're able to estimate the degree of retinal non-perfusion in eyes that have retinal venous occlusive disease and therefore differentiate non-ischemic from ischemic occlusions. We know that eyes with ischemic branch retinal vein occlusions, which are defined as five disc areas of non-perfusion or more, are at high risk of developing posterior segment neo. So neo on the optic nerve or neo of the retina elsewhere. However, central retinal vein occlusions defined as 10 or more disc areas of retinal non-perfusion are at risk for anterior segment neo. So neo on the iris, neo in the angle, and potentially devastating neovascular glaucoma. So having this information, knowing whether it's ischemic or not, is really prognostically valuable to say, what is the risk for neo? And we know in our patient, the risk is great. And the value of OCT and geography is that we get a volumetric 3D data set that we're able to segment out abnormal vasculature above the retina or pre-retinal neovascularization. So in this case, the vitro-retinal interface preset shows us that there is a very large area of neovascularization on the disc, as well as a small area of neovascularization elsewhere along the border of perfused and non-perfused retina corresponding to the horizontal raphe in this particular case. When we have posterior segment neo, there's a risk for vitreous hemorrhage and a risk for tractional retinal detachment. Therefore, it's appropriate to refer 
to a retina specialist for consideration of panretinal photocoagulation. And in the case of branch retinal vein occlusion, we're looking at just sectoral PRP. Really important in this case too is to say why is a young 40-year-old female having a branch retinal vein occlusion? Yes, she has hypertension, but it's pretty well controlled. So it's very appropriate uh, and I think prudent to get a thorough systemic evaluation in this case, looking for hypercoagulable, hyperviscosity uh, states and blood dyscrasias in general, asking about oral contraceptive use. Is she taking a diuretic for her hypertension that may also predispose to venous thrombosis formation? But then also don't forget about causes of retinal phlebitis. So sarcoidosis, TB, lupus are all things that you'd want to investigate as well. We did a thorough investigation in this case, and fortunately for her, everything was within normal limits. We did make sure to communicate to the primary care doctor uh, the importance of controlling the hypertension, and also communicated to the PCP the increased risk for stroke and cardiovascular disease that we know is associated with ocular retinal vein occlusions. I want to pause here and also point out that this zebra type of retinal vein occlusion systemic workup should also be considered not only in young individuals, but individuals where the occlusion did not occur at an AV crossing site, or they don't have any vascopathic risk factors like hypertension, or it's a bilateral vein occlusion, you need to investigate for a uh, sort of unique etiology in those scenarios. So you recall in our case that the patient had venous sheathing within that area of significant retinal non-perfusion that we saw with OCT and geography. But even if you don't have OCT and geography, we can detect vascular sheathing with wide field and ultra wide field color fundus photography that's gonna be suggestive of significant retinal non-perfusion. Much like the case here on the left-hand side of the slide, this patient has retinal sheathing and ischemic central retinal vein occlusion went on to develop neo of the iris angle and neovascular glaucoma. Here's another example of a patient that likely has an unusual zebra type of retinal vein occlusion etiology. So this was a 68-year-old female with bilateral central retinal vein occlusions that occurred sequentially within a few months of each other. Although she did have hypertension, it was well controlled, and the bilateral nature, the short time frame between the initial eye developing a vein occlusion and the fellow eye developing the vein occlusion is really a red flag for other systemic disease in this case that we need to investigate for. So in the initial round of labs that I ordered, uh, it did reveal that there was a positive ANA, or anti-nuclear antibody, which is a nonspecific marker for possible autoimmune disease. She also had an elevated serum hypocysteine level, which in and of itself is a hypercoagulable state that's gonna increase the risk of venous thrombosis. So given the positive ANA or anti-nuclear antibody, I ordered a second round of labs looking for more specific markers of autoimmune diseases, such as a rheumatoid factor for rheumatoid arthritis, anti-double-stranded DNA for lupus, et cetera. All those came back normal. However, we still recommended that she follow up and consult with a rheumatologist to rule out any systemic autoimmune disease that could be causing retinal phlebitis. And then secondarily, because of the elevated homocysteine serum level, we know that that can be caused by deficiencies in vitamin B12, B6, as well as folic acid. So we ordered labs to investigate those levels, which were within normal limits, but did communicate to the PCP 
that the homocysteine level was elevated to see if she wanted to do some vitamin supplementation to try to bring that level down. And then our last case in this series is a 57-year-old female with a rather obvious acute onset central retinal vein occlusion there in the left eye that we can see with ultra-wide field imaging. Her case is unique in the sense that she does not have hypertension and her in-office blood pressure was good, 117 over 77. Her diabetes had only been diagnosed five months ago, so very short duration. And we think based on the history, it was likely LADA or latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. So she lacks the typical systemic vasculopathic risk factor profile that we would expect in most patients with retinal venous occlusive disease. Of note, she is aware of having a positive ANA lab result previously, but she doesn't have any sort of specific autoimmune disease diagnosis like lupus. Uh, her examination revealed some severely reduced vision of count fingers here in this left eye. She also of note had a three plus APD and she was missing some superior visual field upon confrontation visual field testing. With dilated examination, as we can see here on the ultra wide field photograph, she has dilated and tortuous veins, the hallmark of retinal venous occlusive disease on fundus examination, as well as intraretinal hemorrhaging, a multitude of cotton wool spots in all quadrants, as well as some disc edema. All findings very consistent with a central retinal vein occlusion. So in patients with a central retinal vein occlusion, it's important to look closely at the fellow eye for signs of hypertensive retinopathy. And if we look here at the right eye, the arterial light reflex is a little bit broader than what we'd expect, but there's really no notable AV nicking that we would see in hypertensive retinopathy capable of causing a venous occlusion. So again, suggestive of a more exotic inflammatory vasculitis type cause of the central retinal vein occlusion in the left eye. Using the clinical exam to gauge whether you're dealing with an ischemic or a non-ischemic central retinal vein occlusion is very important because we know that the prognosis for ischemic central retinal vein occlusion is poor. And that's because about 50 to 60%, so more than half of ischemic central retinal vein occlusions will develop anterior segment neovascularization. So neo on the iris angle, and unfortunately, even neovascular glaucoma, painful blindness. And that usually occurs within three to five months time. So finding suggestive of an ischemic central retinal vein occlusion at risk for neovascular glaucoma include visual acuity worse than 2200 on presentation. Remember our patient was count fingers, a prominent APD. Remember our patient had a three plus APD, severe intraretinal hemorrhaging and cotton wool spots in all quadrants, which we sometimes refer to as the blood and thunder appearance, which our patient seems to have a, a lot of cotton wool spots suggestive of retinal infarction, and then significant visual field loss, which our patient had as well. So here are some raster scans through the fovea, which show very severe macular edema with both intraretinal cystic fluid as well as a small pocket of subretinal fluid. And this is probably contributing to the vision decline of count fingers. So our assessment for this case is likely an ischemic central retinal vein occlusion with macular edema. We refer to a retina specialist for consideration of anti-VEGF therapy for treatment of the macular edema, which we know is first-line therapy for macular edema that complicates retinal venous occlusive disease. 
And then we decided to do some more systemic evaluation given that she did not have hypertension and diabetes of very short duration. Knowing that she was previously ANA positive, we did some more specific tests to look for autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP, etc., as well as did some labs for hypercoagulable, hyperviscosity states, and then other causes of retinal phlebitis such as TB, sarcoid, and syphilis. Made sure to communicate to the PCP, keep all the team members involved in the patient's care in the loop emphasizing the importance of tight diabetes control as well as blood pressure control even though she doesn't have hypertension now to reduce the risk of a fellow eye retinal vein occlusion. Also committed to the PCP the higher risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke that is associated with retinal venous occlusion. So she comes back to see us for a one-month follow-up after having a single aflibercept intravitreal injection with the retina specialist in the left eye, and that was about two weeks ago. She feels that her vision has improved minimally, and the visual acuity has improved from count fingers, but only to 2250. Her lab results were significant for elevated serum homocysteine as well as a elevated cardiolipin IgM antibody level, which is part of our antiphospholipid antibody panel, which is a hypercoagulopathy. In a scenario like this where you're dealing with some sort of blood disease, I think it would be most beneficial to refer to a hematologist. Unfortunately, in our setting, we don't contract with hematology. Um, so I sent her to our in-house neurologist for a full stroke evaluation, consideration of antiplatelet or anticoagulant therapy, and consideration of vitamin supplementation to try to reduce those homocysteine levels, which is also a hypercoagulable state. Her undilated iris examination and gonioscopy, which is really important to do in vein occlusions, central retinal vein occlusions, did not reveal any anterior segment neo. And then the dilated fundus examination showed some resolution of the hemorrhaging, especially superiorly. However, the vein occlusion kind of continues to smolder with intraretinal hemorrhaging inferiorly. And the OCT revealed substantial resolution in the macular edema with just that one aflibercept injection. But why is her vision still 2250 with an OCT that looks like this. Here's her montage OCT and geography, which shows some significant retinal non-perfusion, pretty much within the entire inferior half of the fundus. And certainly there's 10 disc areas or more of non-perfusion here. So this is indeed an ischemic central retinal vein occlusion, which we predicted from our baseline exam. Vision loss in central retinal vein occlusion we know can be a consequence of either macular edema or macular ischemia, or perhaps both together. We can only visualize macular ischemia with some form of angiography. So recall our patient had significant macular edema at baseline with that count fingers vision, but even when we cleared the macular edema with a flibercept, the vision was bottomed out there at 2250. And with three millimeter macular uh, OCT and geography imaging, we can see there's enlargement of the fovea vascular zone and a whole lot of retinal non-perfusion, especially in the inferior half of the macula there. So we now have an explanation as to why the vision is still reduced and that is macular ischemia. The patient was educated at this point to keep her follow-up appointments and then to continue anti-VEGF therapy with the retinal specialist. She returns to us for a three-month follow-up, again, just making sure the patient didn't fall through the, the cracks and is still getting care there. 
which is important in central retinal vein occlusion because of that risk for neovascular glaucoma. So when she comes back to us, she said, oh, I never went back to see the retina specialist nor got any additional anti-VEGF injections. And she expressed being upset because the retina specialist told her that he thought her vein occlusion was related to hypertension, which she denied having. So she just felt frustrated and she said, I'm not going back there, but I'll go see a different retina specialist. The visual acuity continues to be reduced at 2200. And we can now see the central retinal vein occlusion continues to smolder with this progressive intraretinal hemorrhaging that's even out in the periphery and worse inferiorly. OCT imaging shows significant rebound macular edema, likely due to the patient's self-discontinuation of anti-VEGF therapy. Again, after discussing with her the possible benefits of anti-VEGF and additional injections, she agreed to go see another retina specialist, which is what we did, uh, referring her to someone else in this particular case. So the take-home messages of this case series, montage OC tangiography is very valuable in differentiating non-ischemic from ischemic occlusions because we can visualize retinal non-perfusion. Ischemic retinal vein occlusions are a greater risk of neovascular complications, and you need to look for them on follow-ups and refer if neovascularization does occur. Use your clinical examination to gauge whether it's an ischemic or non-ischemic central retinal vein occlusion based on the findings present, even if you don't have a form of angiography that you can do. And then make sure that you systemically work up patients who may have a more exotic type of etiology. Those who are young, under the age of 50, don't have hypertension or have bilateral retinal venous occlusions. Thank you.